Amen, amen, amen. It's good to see you today, Real Life. Are you glad to be here in the room today? I am glad that you are. Oh, man, it's good to see you. Uh, can we uh, just put our hands together for all the moms, soon-to-be moms, grandmas in the room? We love you, moms, so, so much. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. All of you are such a picture of sacrifice and servanthood and just a passion for those that God has given you as kids and grandkids. We just are so, so thankful for you and uh, we just want to honor you today. And um, I'm really excited that we get to be together today. My name is Richie, our lead pastor here, and uh, really thankful for these moments together, thankful to be able to worship together, to be able to partake communion together. Uh, I just love these moments together because God can work in such powerful ways. Uh, it's amazing when we have intimate, close times with God on our own, but man, when we come together and we're able to sing together in unity and put our hearts together uh, around a common purpose to reach this world for Jesus, one person at a time, it is miraculous what God can do when his people come together with his heart and his purpose together. He makes such a difference in this world through people like us, and so I'm thankful that we get to do this together, and I'm thankful that you're here today. You having a good Mother's Day so far? Moms, you can, you can answer honestly. Some of you shaking your head, no, okay. That, watch, okay. We'll, uh, we'll, if your mom shook her head, you still have time. There's still time to make today awesome and to love them and to honor them. We, uh, we love you moms a ton. Uh, we've, we've been in a conversation the last few weeks uh, about who we are becoming. Jesus said that he came and he is making all things new. That means your life your, your decisions, your priorities, uh, your habits of old, the things that used to uh, control you. Paul writes about you as, as a follower of Jesus and says, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Well, many of us understand that, that as we've come to faith in Jesus Christ or are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, this is not just an instantaneous newness. There is spiritual rebirth. You are now born again and you are sealed for heaven. But now you have this journey that you are on called transformation. You're being changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And what's so amazing about this transformational journey is God has his part. His part is the miraculous part. The 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 part to give you a new desire, uh, a heart for him, the part to um, take those strongholds and those addictions and those things that have ruled your life in the past and begin to break them down. Healing, maybe hurt in the past or bitterness and allowing you to forgive and, and look past faults of people that have been um, brutal to you. But, but you have your part in this journey of transformation as well. You have a responsibility to see the relationships that God has given you, your relationship with him, relationships here in the church, relationships at work, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids. Every one of these circles of relationship, uh, God wants to make new. He wants to transform you within those contexts, within those relationships. And he wants really inviting you to do your part in this journey of transformation. We've been talking about our relationship with Jesus last several weeks. Today, I want to embark on a, on a new conversation within this uh, about our relationships within the church as a whole. I grew up in the church. Anybody else grow up church kids? Uh, we had pews in the church I grew up in, and I was good at um, sliding down like while the preacher was preaching, and like pretty soon I'm laying under the pew for most of the service, uh, uh, drawing on the offering envelopes. Uh, so I've seen some of your art. Uh, you guys are amazing at those offering envelope art, uh, art jobs. But uh, Every time that we've been around church, many of you have come from other churches, you've experienced church, you've heard about church, you've seen church online, uh, you, you, we have different expectations and different experiences, good, bad, 
uh, not so whatever. We have all kinds of different definitions and expectations that we bring to the table in this conversation. What does it mean to be Jesus Church? What is my part? What is God's part? What is your part? Like, what, what, how do we do this together? And how do we be who God has called us to be? And ultimately, I, I think Jesus is wanting us to be mature as followers of him, mature in our relationship with him, mature in our relationships within the church, in our marriages, as parents, as kids, as uh, bosses, as workers, whatever our relationships look like, there's maturity that God has in mind there. And many of us, we don't think about church like that. We just kind of come and go and we do the thing and then we, we're on with our day. And, and, and is that right? Is that good? Is that bad? Many of us haven't even thought about it. And so today I want to think about it. I want to talk about it together. And I want to paint a picture together from scripture of what God has intended and who he's asked us to be. And not just leave things to assumptions or previous expectations, but to actually get unified and have a heart together to be who God has called us to be. Because I believe that he, he's wanting to make an impact, not only in your life, but through you to the people around you, your city, this world. I mean, up here on these boards are kids from all over Addis, Ethiopia, the, the capital city of Ethiopia, the place that we planted a church just a few years ago where where. Kids are needing love. And, and, and I think about our city needs a ton of love. There's cities all over the world that need love. And God just continues to open doors for us. And we step through them in faith. And there's always this question in, in front of us of like, hey, am I being who God has called me to be? Am I becoming? Am I being transformed the way Jesus has asked me to grow? And who he's asking me to become? And so today I want to look at the church together for a moment. And just kind of ask us to ask some questions like, why is it here? What is the church about? And what is my kind of part in this? And, and, and how do we do this together? And what, what if um, we have to interact with each other? What is that supposed to look like? And, and I really want to just start foundational today with this understanding that the church has always been and always will be God's idea. 100% God designed the church. God had it in mind at the very beginning. God was the, the one that in, had a heart to rescue all mankind from our sinfulness and our brokenness. This is, this is why he sent Jesus originally, was to rescue us from our sin and our shame and our guilt. And at the same time, Jesus began a process of of grabbing 12 guys and discipling them for three years. And then he sent them to go do the same thing he did with them. And, and ever since that, that, that moment, a couple thousand years ago, churches all over the world have met in moments like this, have been sent out into their workplaces, into their schools, and been equipped for the purpose of God in every city around the globe. And millions and millions and millions of people have heard the good news of Jesus Christ over the generations because Jesus built his church. What a miracle that you and I get to be a part of this thing. It's sacred. It's not something that we should take lightly. It's something that we should honestly and diligently go, God, what does it mean to be your, your church? It's, it's this thing that has lasted through every bit of persecution. Nations have rose and fallen, but Jesus' church has endured difficulties and all kinds of famines and hardships all across the globe, persecution, you name it. And Jesus' church has endured. And I just go, God, what a privilege for us to be a part of this thing and to not take it lightly and, and, and just minimize it to a thing that we attend. It's a building that we go to. God, we know it's so much more than that, but what is it? In Matthew 16, 
Jesus was talking with his disciples and he asked them a question. Hey, who do the people say that I am? It's an interesting question. I mean, if Jesus were to ask you that question, you could answer honestly from like your friends and your family perspective. Like, who do, who do those people around you say that I am? Well, some say you're just a good teacher. Some say you're a prophet. Some say even you're Elijah reborn. Wow, these are big statements about Jesus. Are any of them true? And then he asked them another question. Well, who do you say that I am? And I think this is, this is the foundation of it. Like, who, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he in your life? Peter speaks up and he says, well, you are the Lord. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, you are so blessed, Peter, because this is not given to you by man, but this is given to you by my Father in heaven. And in verse 18, Jesus makes this statement. He says, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, the rock of this confession that you just made, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, on this rock, I will build my church, Jesus said. And not even the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will be able to overcome, be able to stop my church. The church has always been Jesus' idea. He was the author of it. Hebrews 12, 2 says he is the pioneer and perfecter of this faith. He is the author and finisher of this faith. Let's fix our eyes on him, the author of Hebrews says. He is the one that came up with this idea. He is the one that is gonna build this thing called his church. And, and, and I love this picture because it just gives me so much hope and strength that it's not something that's dependent on you and I just getting it just right all the time. It is miraculous and it's supernatural and it is at the very heart of God that his people would recognize that he is going to build his church and he is the model, he is the author, he is the designer, and he gets to say, how it should go. One of the things that always struck me, uh, I don't know if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 17. We'll go to Matthew 9 here in, in a few minutes. But in John 17, Jesus is about ready to go to heaven. He's about ready to give his life for the sins of the world. He's gonna be wrongly accused. He's gonna be beaten. He's gonna be hung on a cross. He's gonna pay the penalty for our sin. But none of that has happened yet. And he's praying. And I love this picture because it's like God just gave us this inside look into the heart of Jesus, God himself. In John 17, Jesus says, Father, this is him praying, the time has come to glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him all authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Verse four here is so powerful. He says, I have brought you glory. He's praying to his father in heaven. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Think about the timing of this. This is before Jesus has gone to the cross. This is before he's died and been buried in the grave and resurrected from the grave, declaring victory over sin and death and the opportunity for you and I to be made right with God. This is Jesus saying, God, you gave me an assignment when I came here to earth and I've finished it now. And he never goes on to explain the assignment, but what I love in the context of this passage is what he transitions into is he then begins to pray for his disciples. And then he begins to pray for the church, anybody that will believe in him because of the message of the disciples. He prays that we would be one, that we'd be unified and that we'd have his heart and that we'd be one just like he and the father are one. And it just gives me this, this amazing kind of 
excitement to go, wow, God had in mind from the beginning an assignment for his son, Jesus Christ, to come here to earth and to pour into these 12 guys for three years. It was his plan from the beginning before he ever got to the cross that he would put in these 12 disciples the passion and the heart of God and that he would commission them. Eventually, Matthew 28, he goes on to say, all right, guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, just like he kind of prays here. And he says, now I want you to go. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. What he's saying is, I want you to do what I just did with you for the last three years. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Everything that I've put in you, now I want you to give to them. Freely you've received, now freely give, he says. See, see, from the very beginning, God had this plan in mind that he was going to use his son, Jesus Christ, not only to save us from the sin uh, uh, that has separated us from God, but also to bring us into a right understanding of what it means to be his church, to do so in a very specific way by pouring into these guys and then sending them to go do the same thing. What a miracle that after 2,000 years, here we are today because those 12 guys heard that commission to go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything. What a miracle. Like, it could be so easy for us to disconnect from the power of the church. And just think maybe the church is a service I attend. It's a program that I like. It's music I kind of like. It's sometimes the preacher's on. Sometimes he's not as funny today. You know, like, we, we don't we? We have these weird, like, little things that we like, we don't like. And pretty soon, I've heard this all the, we're church shopping. You know, you know, you've heard this term? Like, that's not a thing in the Bible, right? It's, it's never been a thing. But, but somehow we've kind of Americanized this and we've made it kind of what, what our preferences are. And, and if we're not careful, we have no biblical grounding to our idea of church and no responsibility to Jesus at all and, and, and the miracle that his church has always been. And I just, I wanna bring us back to the sacredness of it today and go, wait a second. The church has always been Jesus' idea. He has no other plan. He has no other idea. It has always been his church. A rescue mission from the people of God that have experienced the love of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God that has been poured into you and I is to be poured out through us to those around us. That's what it's always been. And for us to make it less than that, I think that's what, what, what I'm wanting us to really wrestle with today and not allow it to become some little mechanism in our life that whatever we've made it, but to allow the sacredness of what Jesus intended to be real for us. See, when Paul writes about the church in the book of Ephesians, he says to you specifically, in Ephesians 2, he says to the individual that you are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, you are his handiwork, his craftsmanship. Think of that, that terminology, masterpiece, craftsmanship, handiwork. Intentionality, thought comes to mind, right? That he's not doing something on accident. God didn't just like look at the mess of our lives and go, well, I'll try to make something happen here, you know? No, no, no. Every bit of your life he is crafting, he's putting together, he's making into a, a masterpiece as he is saving you, as he's bringing you new life in Christ Jesus. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 10, so that you can do the good works that he planned long ago for you to do. That not only is this church this big idea, but, but you, 
individually are invited into this story. And you and I are not, not just attending a church, but we are actually becoming the church. That is not a concept we agree with or a service we attend to, but it is an identity that we carry with us wherever we go. That the church isn't here for us to meet our spiritual needs and do that pick-me-up thing once a month or whatever it is, but we are the church and we are here for our city. We are here for these kids in Ethiopia. We are here on a mission collectively with the heart of God inside of us and the the mercy of God inside of us and the work of God inside of us. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Paul, the same guy, writes to the church, not individually here, he writes collectively. I want you to hear this. So Christ gave, so Christ himself, sorry, gave to the church as a gift the apostles. These are leaders in the church. He gave to the church prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He gave them as a gift to the church to, for what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become, here's that word, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I love that language because it suggests that maybe you're only experiencing a partial measure of the fullness of Christ, that you would actually experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. That's like immature, right? Infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. It's going on all the time around us. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Like, What is sacred union? That Jesus himself is the head, the leader, the authority, but he's saying, I want you, all you messed up, all you just brand new to, to, to knowing me, all you that have got all your brokenness from the past, I, I want all of you to be my body, this team collectively unified on a mission with me, with my heart beating inside you, sent to your schools, to your workplaces, sent to these different places that you're gonna occupy all throughout the week with this heart beating inside of you, recognizing, hey, church isn't just this little thing that we, we get around to. It, it, you are the church. That you and I are being called by God, empowered by God, matured as a body collectively, united with Christ as the head, the leader of of these lives individually and the leader of us collectively, corporately. What a powerful picture that that they paint here for us. I think it just, just have to take a breath for a second and just reflect on this. And I hope you will with me that God loves you so, so much. And he's rescued you and I out of so many broken and dark places. I love Peter's language that, that, that you are now, because of this rescue, you are a, a holy nation. You're like a royal priesthood. He's brought you out of darkness and he's put you into the light so that you can declare the praises of him who's loved you, who's saved you. Like the compassion and the grace of God that's been poured into each of our lives is is given to us as a gift to give to those all around us. This is how 
Jesus has always seen his church. It's an army that, that God has poured out his love and his compassion into that is being sent with that same love and compassion to those around us. Think of the word army, right? I mean, it's intentional or body, team, on a mission, accomplishing something together. Anybody like to win in the room? You know what I'm saying? Like, why, why would we be content with the church being a thing that doesn't actually accomplish the mission that God gave us to accomplish? Like, let's just have a losing team. It's gonna be a great, great year, right? Right? Like, nobody would, like, sign up for that. No, 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 we actually want to experience the fullness of who Christ has called us to be. We want to see lives changed through us. We want to see this army raised up and, and people impacted through us. We want to see people all over the world changed by the love and the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. A couple of pieces for you to just pay attention to today that I think Jesus embodies so well. Matthew chapter nine, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, I love this. When he saw all the messed up people, <laughs> when he saw all the brokenness and pain, he had compassion on them. Number one emotion Jesus experiences throughout the gospel. It's compassion. It's not anger. It's not judgment. It's not frustration. It's compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Hmm. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Like there's so much to take into the kingdom. So much fruitfulness to be brought in to the, to the barns, but the workers, they're not there. They're few. People that actually want to get involved in this work and be a part of this miracle. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. I love this. Jesus is moved with compassion the same way that I believe each of us are to be moved with compassion, the same compassion he pours out on our lives is to move us when we see needs and brokenness all around us. It gets overwhelming at times, I know. You see, you see sickness in, in people's lives around you, you see hurt, you see divorce, you see addiction, you see drugs, you see all of it going on in so many, and it's easy to just kind of like get overwhelmed by it all and just go, man, I don't, I don't know if I can do anything and so I'm not gonna do anything at all. And my encouragement to us would be, don't try to do everything, just do something. Don't, don't, don't get overwhelmed by the enormity of the problems, but just see the one person in front of you that God has put there today and, and have a heart that's filled with compassion and allow the spirit to prompt you and lead you and guide you in what ways you are to love and serve and help them experience who God has called them to be. For you and I to not allow the need to just keep us at a distance from the brokenness around us, but like sheep without a shepherd, our hearts would just ache as we see the needs of people all around us and just be willing to do something. It may feel really simple. It may feel like maybe I'm not making a difference at all. But I believe that God can take the smallest of moments, the smallest bits of compassion and move powerfully through them. Even, well, there's so much I could say about this, but I'll, I'll just stop there for now and just know this. 
that Jesus' heart was moved with compassion. And I believe as Jesus' church, that's where our hearts need to be as well, moving constantly with compassion. But the other thing that strikes me about that passage is Jesus notices something. Hey, guys, he calls his disciples together. It's like a little huddle. Like, hey, church, we're disciples of Jesus and we're on a mission together and the harvest is massive, he says to them, but the workers are few. I mean, there's probably just 12 of them, 13 of them with Jesus included here in this little huddle where they, they look out and they see all the people that are hurting all around them. He's just finished preaching and healing diseases and sicknesses. It's not like they haven't done some ministry, but it's just this sense of like, oh God, there is so much more work to do and there's not enough people to do something about it. And so he says to the, to the disciples, you guys gotta pray. You gotta pray that, that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers into the harvest field. Now think about, this is where the enemy cripples Jesus' church. He keeps us from the compassion. He keeps us in places of judgment and maybe, maybe bitterness about the past or hurt. Maybe, maybe church has been a bad experience for you and there's people at that church and they hurt you and so you've stayed at a distance because people hurt you and I can't trust anybody. And all these things happen in our lives and, and the enemy uses this to keep our hearts from compassion. But then the other thing he does is he keeps us from engaging in the mission by, by just keeping us content with a sideline, not actually in the game, but just on the sideline. Watching the, the thing happen, but not actually making it happen. And I think about how palpable that would have been for these disciples in that moment when he's like, look guys, <laughs> harvest is massive, but the workers are few. And when you're standing in front of a sea of people that are hurting, you can't help but just have your heart just ache. Who's gonna do something? How are we gonna make a difference? How is this gonna be any different at all than all the craziness that we've been experiencing? And so this to me just becomes so real for us to understand like this process, this journey of transformation that you are on individually is so essential because the enemy can keep you sidelined by keeping you self-centered and keeping you focused on yourself and your needs and what you want to get out of church and how you think it ought to go and, and, and how powerful it is for you and I to lay down self-centeredness. I mean, speak, moms, like on days like today, like for us to just look at the moms in our lives and to honor them and to think of the sacrifices that they've made, the way that they've paved the way for us to be here today, the way that they've loved and cleaned, whatever little things to enormous things that they've done is just so powerful for us to see what happens when somebody gets beyond themselves. Every single disciple of Jesus needs to mature out of our self-centered ways, self-serving ways into a place of sacrifice and servanthood and desire for other people where, where we're now learning to give of our life, give of our time and our talents, give of our finances to help other people experience what we've experienced. And we're not just always kind of receiving, but we're learning to give. And this is part of us maturing individually. This is what makes us a worker, right? And we're not content with just consuming, but actually giving and having a life that is impacted in, in a way that is giving to others around us. And I just go, God, would you, would you give us that kind of heart, that kind of passion, that kind of compassion inside of us? Would you make us a people that's not content redefining your church to meet our definitions and our expectations, but that we would see biblically this passion that you have for us to be your church. And God, would you give us that, that, 
that urgency, God, to, to become someone who is moved with compassion, who actually does something about the needs that we see all around us. Today, on Mother's Day, as we prayed about this day, talking with our friends at Compassion International, we, we've always had this burden to reach the entire world for Jesus. It's a massive burden. It's not something that we came up with, but we've seen it all throughout scripture as Jesus' heart. It's his passion, it's not ours. And so we're trying to have God's heart. And what I love about compassion is that they are, all these countries all over the world, they're teamed up with local churches like ours, where the pastors and the leaders of that church are committed to make disciples in their neighborhoods. And those pastors and leaders are identifying kids in their neighborhoods that are in need and aren't getting educated aren't getting food. They're not getting protected. Bringing them in and they're inviting them into this program called Compassion. Churches like us get to hear about these kids in all these other countries all over the world. And we get to do something about the need that we see. Can we do everything? No. But we could do something. Today, I want to invite David up here to join me. Uh, Today, if you would, David. David is from Kenya. Would you welcome him here up to the stage with me today? I'd love for him just to share a little bit of your story, David, if you would, of growing up in Kenya and how God used compassion in your life. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. I just want to thank Pastor Richie and uh, every one of you for being here today. And I just want to thank God for the opportunity to be here and just give a testimony of what God has done in my life. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, yeah, I, I, I was born and raised in Kenya. My name is David Wangaka. Not Wakanda, Wangaka. Uh, most people are always like, hey, your name is Wakanda. Can you teach me Wakanda language? No, we don't have Wakanda language. We have Swahili. Uh, I'm going to teach you a little bit of Swahili. When we go to church in the morning, we greet our brothers and sisters in Christ by saying, praise the Lord in Swahili. It's called Buana Asifiwe, and then you say amen. So, Buana Asifiwe, amen. Yeah. So, I was, as I, as I mentioned, as Pastor Richie was talking about, like uh, what the Lord is doing in, uh, in the body of Christ, the church out there, reach, reaching out to the most vulnerable kids uh, around the world and making disciples of all nations. I was one of those kids. Uh, I was born and raised in Kenya. My, my, my mom uh, had five children, and my mother was not, my, my dad was not in the picture. And so, and she was raising all these children by, she was selling some liquor that she used to make at home. And it was very illegal from the government because it was not controlled by the government. And so, this liquor was some kind of moonshine, almost like moonshine here in the United States. And it was 100% alcohol, so that, it was so dangerous. And because it was very illegal, she was in and out of jail. And she was trying to raise her children. And I remember every time she would go to jail, everything that she would have sold, she would bribe the police for her to be released. And I remember one, one time she started working in a small restaurant after leaving that job. But also the restaurant that where she was working was only paying her one, less than one dollar a day. And that meant if she does not go to work, that one dollar is not there. 
So her priority mostly was to pay for the rent. We used to live in a 10 by 10 square feet house. Um, and I remember we didn't even have, uh, there was no running water. We didn't have beds. We actually slept on the ground um, on cardboards. At night we would roll out this cardboard. The five of us would sleep there. We only had one blanket. And during the day we would then roll out, uh, roll back the, 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 the cardboard and set it aside and use that space as our living room. My earliest recollection growing up is eating from dumpsters because my mom could not afford even money to buy food because she was so afraid of not being able to pay for the rent because we would be kicked out by the landlord. The landlord would come and, 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 and lock the door with two padlocks so that we are not able to access if she, if she is not able to pay. I remember one time my mom, my, my mom uh, and, and today being uh, Mother's Day, I, you know, it's just an honor to her. She loved us so much, but one day she was, she was so sick. And uh, unfortunately, you had to guarantee payment to the hospital for you to be admitted for treatment. And I remember she was taken to hospital. We don't have ambulances or whatever. She was taken to hospital by, by a friend in the neighborhood. And when she got to hospital, it was too late for her. She did not make it. And the neighbor came back home the next day and said, I'm so sorry, your mom died. And, and, and it was that time when I realized not only were we hopeless, but we were helpless, like extremely hopeless. And I always remember this, just praying to God, asking, is God real? But God is real. Amen. When I was nine years old, I was a homeless child. We call them chokora, homeless children in Kenya. If you've ever traveled in another country, you will see children roaming around the street. I was one of those children. And someone invited me to join him in church because I was praying one time and I asked God, God, be my dad and I will always serve you. And God heard my prayers. And God brought this Samaritan, a good Samaritan, who, who invited me to come to church with him. And I went to church with him. And when I went to church with him, I had no idea that was Compassion Center. Because Compassion does not have a, 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 a name. It's just a program in the, in the church. So I went there and there was about 300 children running around. I really wanted to be a child again. I just missed that. We were playing around. And I remember them giving me some new clothes because I, I was dirty. I was not lovable. And they gave me some clothes and new shoes. And they took a picture of me and made a packet of information like these children here. And I had no idea that all those children I was seeing, they, were, they had the same story as my, my, myself. And every Saturday we would come, come to this church because they took me to, to, to school. So Monday through Friday, I was in school. And then on Saturday, we would come to, come to that church for the Compassion Center program. And then Sunday, we would still come back to that church for praises and worship. So we had no time to mess around in the street. <laughs> they protected 
my dignity. One thing I love about compassion, they did not take a picture of me to put on the TV and say, look at this poor kid, malnourished. No, they actually clothed me. The Bible says, you saw me naked, you clothed me. You saw me hungry, you gave me food. They did exactly that. And I remember compassion staff would come with a stack of letters and they would call out names. These are children that have already received a sponsorship, a sponsor. They have a sponsor. They, have, they are connected with a sponsor. And we would run up there and take that letter and read. And one time I was waiting for so long. Today you'll see some children waiting for like 300 days to find someone to sponsor them. They are still hoping. And one time I received that letter and my sponsor is from Portland, Oregon. And she said, David, I love you so much. Those are the words that I had never heard before. Because even my mom, even though she loved me, she could not say those words because they were so sentimental. We were surviving in extreme poverty. But this woman was like, David, I love you. And God loves you. And you, God has great plans for you to give you hope in the future. And she kept encouraging me. She told me, I have a picture of you on my refrigerator. I had no idea what the refrigerator was. But that was so good that she had, she had my picture. You know, she, 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 she recognized me. She knew me. She would pray for me. Through her sponsorship, I was able to go back to school. And I graduated with an MBA. Amen? Glory to Jesus. That's a big deal. It's a big deal because I was the first person to break the social poverty in my family. Amen? Every single child that is born will never see poverty. I was the first person in my family to, to, to know Christ deeper, to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God because of the opportunity of coming to that church. My whole family started coming to that church. They are all in the choir. They are doing great. I never knew that I would live longer to have a relationship with someone and get married and have children. Today I have four children, by the way. <laughs> I have four boys. My firstborn is Shalom, which means peace. My secondborn is Amani, which means peace. Uh, my thirdborn, I, I didn't know what to call him. I didn't have a cool word, to, a name to call him, so I called him David. Um, and my lastborn is uh, Israel. So these guys, they would have been born in extreme poverty. Because poverty is a cycle. It doesn't end. But because of this woman taking a chance on me and sponsoring me, she broke that poverty. But not only did she do that, she also made a disciple. Because it's like joining God in his mission to make disciples of all nations even without leaving your country. And today we have that opportunity. All these children you see on this wall, and I'm saying this not out, not out of obligation, but out of the love of God. If each and every one of us just pick one child and sponsor today. I sponsor four children, all my children. Every time I have a child, I sponsor another child. And they write to them. That, because poverty was broken. They, dis, they, they, they need that. They need that, what, 38 bucks? They need that more than I do. I'm so safe right now. If I get sick, I can go to hospital. 
I can afford. But these kids today, today's Sunday, these kids were in church today. And I remember going to church and praying for a miracle that I would get a sponsor. That miracle was praying. These kids are praying for the same thing. They are praying for you, for God to soften your heart and to just sponsor even just one child. You'll be changing generations. And this will also change your life. So it's my prayer that today you'll just pick one child. And I'm saying this not out of sentimental or whatever, or coercion, just out of, not, and not out of obligation. God is calling us to make disciples of all nations. God bless you. Amen, amen. Can we thank David for being up here with us today? Man, one life change, uh, generations change. It's a powerful picture. And uh, I pray that God would move each of our hearts to be a part of more lives being changed just like David's. And so here's what I ask you to do is if you would stand your feet with me. I want to pray together today. Then our team is going to just play some music for a few minutes and just allow you a chance to pray and reflect and hear from the Lord and even move out of your seat. Just as soon as I'm done praying, move out of your seat and, and come forward here and look at some of these kids. Look at their name. Look at their their little outfits, just how cute they are and what, what maybe their story might be. And just even prayerfully look and go, God, is there one of these children that you would have my family adopt? Maybe two, maybe three. Maybe one per kid like David has done. That's awesome. And man, I just want to encourage you that this, this is an opportunity that God has given us to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time, one kid at a time. Don't take this packet with you if you're not going to sponsor that child because this is the only packet like it in the world. This is representative of every single one of these kids individually. And so if you do want to sponsor, uh, there's a piece on the back. You tear it off. You could drop it with David or our team at the table out there. You could also scan the QR code right here and just do it all on your phone. Sign up for that sponsorship. They'll send you a packet in several weeks welcoming you to Compassion and how to interact with your kids and all of those instructions will come. But I just want to give you a moment right now. Let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us today about these kids. Lord, we are your church. We're standing here today, God, unified as your church with the passion, God, to see your kingdom come, to see lives change, to see hearts transformed, to see kids rescued, God. I pray, Jesus, that your church would be alive today with compassion, that there would be an urgency in our hearts to see more lives impacted, more kids rescued, more people uh, changed by your love and your grace, Jesus. And we thank you, God, for this chance to team up with you and what you are doing in these kids' lives, God. Thank you for the churches that have wrapped their arms around these kids. Thank you for compassion. Thank you for all these great partnerships, God, that you've given us all across the world, Lord. We are thankful and we are humbled, God, and we trust you, God, to use us as your church. Move on our hearts today, God, to adopt these kids, Lord. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just make your way forward now and find one of these children to adopt. Let's let's just worship as we respond today.